From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Yeah, here we are rocking it for the Automotive ADHD Show. Matt West here talking about cars. Oh, yeah, I am the resident gearhead and host of this show. And if you, I, I guess if you'd like to fight me for that title, we could go around back. <laughs> we'll, sort, we'll sort it out. We'll sort it out. So anyway, I have a really fun show in the works for you today. It is going to be uh, uh, fraught with exciting news. Yeah, new Pikes Peak Hill Climb news that relates to you and me. This is fun. Uh, also going to be talking about some things relating to um, slammed Volkswagen Golfs. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about that. Also, fuel-saving devices. Why they're all a scam and why you shouldn't spend money on any of them. We're gonna, I'm going to highlight some of the, the best ones I've seen, though. And by best, I mean hilariously worst. Uh, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts on F1 and why I think that F1 is out of touch as of lately. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know sportsmanship, when it comes to actual racing and you know doing racing, that's what F1 is supposed to do. And I think, um, and you know, perhaps they've always been out of touch. But there was a recent incident that I think is gonna that that highlights this uh, really really well. So anyway, ladies, gentlemen, Triumph TR6s. Now let's talk about Mazda. For a second, because Mazda just recently sold a whopping two Mazda sixes this year. Two. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Compared to um, uh, uh, in years prior, when they sold thousands of them in the span of well, what is what has occurred so far. Now, the Mazda six. Come on, who cares about the Mazda six? I think it's just amusing that they have managed to sell any of these things uh, brand new, also considering that they have been out of production <laughs> since uh, uh, for, uh, oh gosh, a couple of uh, couple of years now. So uh, and what, what, what happens on top of that? You know, the, the Mazda 6 platform uh, has been around since 2012. And this is one of those weird instances where you have a very old car getting sold as a brand new car, even though it may not be a 2022 model year, the car's never been sold. So it gets, you know, put on a dealership lot and it may sit on that lot for several years, but still makes it a new car. Legally speaking, it is still a new car. And that's exactly what's going on here. The, uh, I guess you could say the past tense, Mazda 6. Well, I guess Mazda had two of them lying around. And uh, they sold them this month. And uh, now, granted, um, I mean, what what can you do? I mean, are you just not going to sell the cars? The the automotive buying crisis, you could call it, has been as strong as ever lately. And uh, that, again, has led to unprecedented demand. Uh, that huge demand, obviously also fueled by the chip shortage, has reduced supply. You have this issue of massive demand and very little supply and i think people are happy to get their hands on anything possible so i don't fault the two owners who bought these very casual and plebeian mazda 6s i mean the mazda 6 is kind of like the most boring sedan mazda has i mean mazda doesn't really make anything interesting the last interesting car they made was the uh, rx8 as reliable uh, as it was it was interesting though and uh, now, granted, the Mazda 6 here dates all the way back to uh, the last of the RX-8s 
were sharing the showroom at the same time when this car was brand new. Let me put that into uh, perspective there. But I, I mean, yeah, buying a car is tough right now. And, you know, I know folks who are just happy to get their hands on something. They just need something and they would like it to have a warranty and they can't be bothered to wait for manufacturers to figure things out, manufacturers to provide more supply and you know, new inventory. They just, uh, I just need a car and I would like it with a warranty, please. And that's what people are asking for. Um, I mean, granted, I'm one to talk, not one of my cars, not one of them. In fact, never have I owned a car with a warranty. And I've had a, quite a few cars, but ne <laughs> never, never with a warranty, which says something about my uh, car buying habits. But uh, I digress. I digress. So you know what? There's two brand new Mazda 6s being 10 years old, driving around on the roads, and I'm sure their owners are just happy. But when you put it into, you know, an interesting an interesting way to put it, you could say as well, is what other piece of 10-year-old technology uh, would you buy in 2022? In fact, uh, writer Owen Bellwood from Jalopnik asked this question uh, in context with the, uh, the Mazda 6 here. Okay, it's a 10-year-old car, brand new-ish 10-year-old car. Um... But would you be interested in buying a 10-year-old iPhone? Eh, I don't think so. A 10-year-old computer? I don't think so. And uh, But things are a little different with cars. Granted, they're not quite the same as other pieces of technology, other appliances, you could say. Yeah, I know. I'm calling it an appliance. <laughs> it's a Mazda 6. It's an appliance. I'm sorry. It just is. Whoever owns these, they're going to get driven. They're going to wear them out. They're not going to fix them. They're going to throw them away. That's the sad reality of uh, buying a casual commuter car, uh, such as the uh, Mazda 6. But obviously, they have a place in the world. Because if you want just a casual commuter car, well, here you go. 10-year-old Mazda 6 for you. So anyway, I digress. Uh, also, another thing I want to want to talk about here, before we get on to my exciting news, before we get on to the car sound winner of the month yes there is a new winner this month and i am gonna announce that here in the second segment of the show um but another thing i want to talk about before any of that is volkswagen golfs specifically slammed volkswagen golfs i'm not sure what it is with volkswagen golf owners and the so-called stance life now i have a particular stance on stanced cars you could say uh and that is it's your car do whatever you want if it makes you happy that's the beauty of the car scene you can do whatever the hell you want to your car and it'll make you happy and that's fine that's great that is the freedom that we as car enthusiasts have and why we enjoy our cars so that's kind of my disclaimer as well. Don't get too butthurt when I'm going to call out how ridiculous this is. But there's a gentleman on uh, TikTok making the rounds uh, there. And um, his name is Dante. And he owns a late model Volkswagen Golf. It's a very nice newer Golf, except it is slammed. And slammed, I mean, it is low. I mean, it is scraping on the pavement. I mean, it's got, you know, a huge quantity of negative camber. The wheels are, you know, tipped in. Like almost, I swear, like 40, 45 degrees. It's uh, it's absurd. It's uh, very absurd. And and cars like this exist as show cars and you know oddities and things that people like to look at. I totally get that. I totally get that. In fact, I respect that. But this guy is so low 
that he has to, when he has to fill up his car, which, as you know, you have to do that pretty regularly with a car, which is why cars have these fancy little fuel doors on the side. You know, they've had them for decades. You open that up, open up the uh, gas cap, and you, you you put gasoline in it. Pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. You want to have easy access to that. Well, the challenge was, in order for him to achieve the amounts of negative camber in the rear, the aesthetic that he wanted, he had to remove the fuel filler neck internally, the the actual pipe that connects it up to the filler where the gas door is, and then that goes down to the gas tank. He had to remove that. So in order to fill up this car, what he has to do is stop, get out a jack from the back of the car, jack up the whole car, which, by the way, also, because the car is so low, you have some difficulty even fitting a jack underneath it, but, but he manages, and then he jacks the car all the way up, gets out a wrench, takes off the lug nuts, takes off the back wheel, thus exposing the wheel arch area where the uh, fuel filler tube would go. That goes down to a hole in the gas tank. Well, now he then takes another rubber hose. It looks like it's some like vacuum cleaner hose. It's a corrugated pipe. Uh, and he takes that, puts it over the hole in the gas tank, runs that up to the fuel filler neck, connects that, and then he can pour gasoline into his car. That's what he has to do. Oh, and then when he's done pouring gas, because bear in mind, you know, you obviously you finish pouring gas after a couple of minutes, hopefully. Uh, what he has to then do is reverse this process, take off the temporary hose connecting the filler neck to the gas tank, and um, then patch up the hole in the gas tank where that is supposed to go with duct tape. Yeah, duct tape. I don't know if anyone told Mr. Dante that gasoline is a solvent. And it dissolves the adhesive on duct tape. I mean, I, I could tell you that to anyone who has tried to patch any sort of hole with anything containing gasoline uh, or patch a fuel line. I Look, we've all been there. We've done something like that. Well, anyone like that could tell you that the gasoline eats the adhesive on the, the duct tape and renders it useless. <laughs> but alas, he's committed in duct taping off the fuel filler uh, hole, you could say, in the gas tank. Uh, which seems like a bit of a safety hazard. That's uh, that's really my only criticism about his setup is, uh, yeah, the gasoline probably leaks out and it's a safety hazard. But no, it's it's just, it's stance cars. And guys who are into stance cars, I will never be able to convince them otherwise. So I'm not even going to try. But the sort of folks that are into stance cars like this sort of thing. They like saying, yeah, my car's so low in order to drive here, I have to do this. It's almost a competition if you will, to see who can make their life suck the most with a stanced car. I'm sorry. Again, I think I think stance cars on airbags do make quite a bit more sense because you can, you know, fill up the airbag suspension, get ride height out of the car when you want it, um, and then you can, you know, go up to your spot at the car show and air down and get that look that you want. In fact, you can air down even lower than you would be if you were just, you know, running a static suspension setup. You know, so I think those those setups are really cool. But going the full static gang, the static life, you could say, non-adjustable suspension with crazy amounts of camber. I mean, look, it's a lifestyle. It's a dedication. I respect their dedication to what makes them happy even though I don't necessarily think stance has any purpose with cars. In fact, it makes them worse. You take a good performing car and you make it useless. Your contact patch for traction on the tires, that's smaller, so you've ruined the cornering ability of the car. You've ruined the adverse weather ability of the car because you're also driving on a you know inch patch of rubber because your wheels are freaking sideways, but you know, whatever. Um, 
And then you also can't go over like small like pebbles and twigs and stuff in the road. You you hit those and it rips your bumper off, which is also inconvenient. But I think again, part of the stance guys, you know, culture, the stance culture is who can make their life suck the most? Who has to put up with the most crap in order to drive their car and be and you know have that that flush stanced look? I I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, it's what makes you happy. That's what we all love about cars. That's what I love about cars. I can modify my cars to do whatever I want them to, and it, it brings me joy. And if making your life miserable and having to take off your wheels and jack the car up every time you want to put gas in it, if that makes you happy, I don't know, man. You do you. <laughs> I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. So there you go. Now, hey, coming up in the next segment of the show, this month's winner of the Car Sound Giveaway. That's right here in just a minute. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft. Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. Oh yeah, here we are, rocking it for the second segment of the Automotive ADHD Show. Matt West here, talking about cars. And uh, those car sounds, by the way, are courtesy of Colin Schroem. That's his 1986 Chevy S10 with a 305 cubic inch small block Chevy. Big engine, little truck. I like it. Now, he set that car sound in a little while ago, and you're probably wondering, and he's probably wondering too, why, I, why I'm playing it again. And that is because... He is, I'll do the, I'll do the uh, drum roll on the desk here. There we go. He is the winner of this month's Car Sound Giveaway. Yes, indeed. Now, the Car Sound Giveaway, if you're a uh, regular listener of the show, you know that I like to play car sounds on the show. I like to play your car sounds. In fact, I am on a quest to play everyone's car sounds ever on this podcast and as well as on the radio, uh, which this show does play on the radio in Southern Colorado, 91.7 KLZR. Now that said, in order to, I guess, give you some encouragement in sending your car sounds in, I have these cool keychains that tell folks and broadcast to the world that you have a questionable, um, a questionable taste in podcasts. And I also have a $25 gift certificate to an auto parts store because, uh, you know, well, we all need those uh, car parts and hopefully that hopefully that's a little drop in the bucket that helps you out with whatever project you're working on now i do have the keychain right here as i wave it to the microphone as as if you can see it through the microphone but um i do have that and uh, colin you have indeed won for this month now when i pull these winners obviously um if you send your car sound in and if you sent it in two months ago that's okay you're still in the active drawing for the car sound of the month 
giveaway. And uh, I mean, technically speaking and probability and mathematics, I mean, eventually you probably will win. Just throw, throwing that out there because I don't blow out old old entries or anything. I just leave them in and I run them and I pick them at random. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a good chance you could win. So anyway, Colin, thank you for sending your car sound in. I will get in touch with you over direct message and uh, figure out the best way to send you the stuff. Also, Colin sent something else fun into the show. In addition to car sounds, he sent something else in that's really cool, and uh, Colin, I will let you know that I'm working on it. I have sent something to my voice guy, who uh, is going to be recording some things shortly. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun. Colin's the only one who knows what I'm talking about, so <laughs> so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be cool. And as for the rest of you, well, I, I guess you gotta wait and find out. So anyway, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about F1, okay? Because F1 is a sport I occasionally enjoy indulging in, though I wouldn't consider myself a F1 fanatic. No, I just like fast things, and F1 cars are usually pretty fast. But um, I saw something interesting that happened during the Monaco Grand Prix earlier this, uh, well, technically last month, Uh, but it wasn't all that long ago. Anyway, um, and that brings me to an interesting point about F1. So what happened is around the 22nd lap, uh, Max Verstappen and his teammate Sergio Perez went to the pits to switch off of their uh, intermediate tires and go to their slicks. The race had started out. It was rainy. It was cold and wet and nasty. A very nasty way to start an F1 race. In fact, there was even a, about a 45-minute rain delay. So anyway, they the rain kind of chills out for a bit. That stops. They decide, all right, it's time to get back on track, and they're racing on their intermediate tires. And at some point, it dries out enough for them to come into the pits and switch to their slicks. So when they do this, Max Verstappen pulls in and gets his slicks on, and they do a, you know, sub-second tire change nearly, and he goes back out onto the track. But there's this little yellow line um, uh, leaving the pit lane, basically, that you're not supposed to cross because of the oncoming vehicle traffic Um to your, I suppose it would be your immediate left as you're leaving the pit lane, and then you have this traffic going by on the main racetrack, and you're, it's like the merge lane on your highway, basically, on a highway, and you're getting out of that. Well, he is getting out, gets the car a little sideways, and just ever so slightly touches the yellow line, just barely. It's not even clear. With all the TV cameras that are present during the race, uh, you think they'd get a better shot of it, but no, no one was really looking at it at the time. And apparently, allegedly... Um, and these claims are based off of Ferrari, the team, who is, I guess, butthurt about the whole thing. Allegedly, Verstappen touched the line. It's not clear if his car, you know, as he was correcting some oversteer, went over the line or just touched it. But apparently, F1 rules say you must not cross the yellow line for the sake of safety. Now, yeah, obviously you don't go flying past the yellow line because there's other cars traveling at triple-digit speeds uh, that you're trying to merge into the the racetrack with. So you you don't go past it, otherwise they're going to hit you, and you'll probably die. So you don't want that, right? The goal is to not get dead, obviously. But um, just touching the line and claiming that, ooh, we have to look at something. You know, Ferrari said, oh, he, he touched the line. Okay, FIA and race officials. You know, go go after him. You know, he he broke the rules. Well, it's like a kid tattling. It's like a five-year-old tattling on someone for something entirely irrelevant. Obviously, if Verstappen had crossed the line with 
you know, even, you know, a foot or two of his car or uh, even the half of the car that would have posed an immediate safety hazard to the oncoming vehicles uh, that he is attempting to merge with. But because he just maybe touched it by an inch or two and it's not even clear if he went over it, he just touched it. I mean, no one was hurt, but by pulling a technicality and saying, oh, he shouldn't have placed the way he is. He should get a penalty. And this happened, by the way, after the race, they they claimed this. This wasn't even an issue during the race. The, the race commentators, if you go back and look at some of the highlights, don't even see it. It doesn't even happen. Like if you were watching it, you've been like, what he did, huh? Well, what happened? So um, after the race is when Ferrari pushes it into a contest, you could say. And uh, uh, Ferrari says, quote, as Ferrari, we are disappointed because we think there was a clear breach of regulations on the two Red Bulls for going on the yellow line, exiting the, the pits. And by two Red Bulls, they also mean uh, Verstappen's teammate who is directly uh, adjacent to him. So, uh, you know, in, in his other car. So, but this brings me to the whole point of F1 is supposed to be about racing, right? So Verstappen placed, you know, in the place he did, I, I believe, I don't have the scoreboard up, but I believe uh, he was uh, either third or fourth uh, at the fin- the finish of that race. Okay. So he, you know, podiumed where he did. Um, and, you know, he did what he did as a driver. The cars performed their thing. Racing occurred. End of story. But... By being pedantic, and that's what it is, by being pedantic and saying after the race, well, so-and-so touched the yellow line, which is not, you know, in the rules. We should uh, remove their win or remove their points or do something to penalize them for it. And it's like, why do you care? Why, you know, if, uh, you know, Ferrari, if you were so good, you would say, you know, you would say, oh, we don't care, whatever. We won the race. We don't care if he crossed the yellow line or whatever. But obviously, I think the Ferrari's a little insecure in their racing because they do care about this for some reason. And again, what point does it become racing? You know, at what point does it stop being racing? Because you look at F1 from the 1970s and 80s and 90s, and obviously you went from the, you know, hand-built, you know, V12 cars to a little more technically sophisticated cars with computer design on the suspension and okay V10s now instead of V12s and you know yeah you went through these changes and at every point of these changes there was some form of criticism uh in regard to you know oh it's not that's not F1 anymore that's not racing and and granted it's still all motorsports um, you know, motorsports is taking place. The teams and the engineers are doing their thing to make fast cars and the drivers are doing their thing to pilot the cars as quickly as possible. And, um, yeah, okay, sure. We're not in the same era of F1, but has F1 become too safe and too, you know, pedantic when it comes to the, when it comes to the rules, you know, uh, you know, had Verstappen actually crossed over that line you know, like substantially that, yeah, that would have been a safety thing, but he didn't. And the fact that we're even arguing and saying, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, he didn't cross the line. And there's one group of people saying, well, he crossed the line. It doesn't matter what he did. And if it was unsafe, it was against the rules. His tire touched the yellow line. Um, The fact that we even are debating that goes to prove that it's not racing anymore. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to see the best as a spectator. You want to see the best racing. You want to see the fastest cars and you want to see the drivers doing their thing. Um, And you're probably not all that concerned about the little yellow line. And as a, you know, team doing the racing, obviously your goal is just 
go as fast as possible and do it as safely as possible because dying sucks. Um, but, you know, the, even the fact that we're debating, well, he did he touch the line? Did he go over it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, because we even have to debate that, in my opinion, proves that F1 is no longer in touch with what racing is. I'm not saying that, you know, racing should exist without rules. No, it has to have rules and classing, uh, you know, ultimately in some capacity to, to remain fair and to prevent uh, cheating and to show the best qualities of the driver's ability and the team's engineering and the manufacturing of the race cars. You know, to a degree, there has to be some semblance of rules, but when you're going after rules that are as tiny as this, and I, I've even mentioned it on a previous show too, uh, I was talking about it on one of the radio shows a little while back, um, that there was a debate with one of the Mercedes cars and the numbers on the car were the wrong color, so they should be disqualified from the entire race, as though the numbers you know, showed something or had some effect on the driver's performance. No, there's stickers on the car. I mean, come on. It's just because of the color, should they be disqualified from the race? Of course not. They did the racing. And that's the point I'm getting at. And I think F1 needs to take a step back and look at the heritage of racing. I'm sure, obviously, pedantic nonsense has existed in F1 uh, for years, even going back to the start of F1, you know, I was very much not alive at that time. I only have, you know, our history to look at and the preserved media that we have and the records of those races. And I'm sure there was the same thing happening. But is that oh, is that racing in its truest form? And I don't think so. And I think that, you know, not just F1, but NASCAR and, you know, IndyCar, all of these sanctioned races uh, and and the comp not the companies, but the committees and the organizations that run these, um, you know, they need to look at what really racing means. And I think where you can find that is, uh, I think the solution to all of this is looking more at your uh, local track days, your grassroots race, and the guy who works a nine to five so he can build his race car and go compete on the weekends that is where i think you find the best racing sure is it amateur racing is it as expensive fast or cool as f1 no but i think it's true to the spirit of motorsports and uh, the best way you can also do this is by supporting local tracks those tracks are worried that they are going to be closing down they're worried about money they're worried about regulations and all sorts of things show your support to the local tracks Keep them open. So there you go. Now, hey, coming up in the next segment of the show, I've got some exciting news. Speaking of some grassroots racing, we're going to talk about the Pikes Peak Hill Climb and some uh, fun stuff I'll be doing with that. It's going to be really cool. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd and I bought a rotary. It's okay bro, we'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. 
No, I have no preference, whatever. Yep. Is it minty and can I brush my teeth with it? Yeah, you get a checkered flag faster? Basically, yes. Doesn't yeah, make yeah we don't think about things like that. Breaking my own rules, breaking the format. That wasn't a car sound. No, that was racing driver and former Top Gear Stig, Paul Gerard, after I interviewed him and asked the all important question, the question on everybody's mind, which is. What kind of toothpaste does he use? Yeah. <laughs> if you've listened to the show for the while, uh, for a while, you know the story behind this. You know, I, I've talked about it uh, in depth before on a, on a previous podcast uh, months and months ago now. Uh, but I had the opportunity to talk to the Stig. He was, you know, the dude in the white suit on the TV show Top Gear. And uh, I had the opportunity to talk to him as he was getting ready to race the Pikes Peak Hill Climb a couple years ago. And uh, I used my time with him very wisely and asked him that question, of all things. And, uh, yeah, he wasn't amused. I think he was holding back from punching me. So, glad he did, by the way. <laughs> that would have, uh, uh, yeah, I, that would have been a good story, though, saying I got punched by him. But, no, no, he was, uh, he did restrain himself from doing that and answered the question truthfully. But I bring this up now because of uh, the fact that it is hill climb season. Here in Colorado. And by that, I mean the big hill climb, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Obviously, you know, listeners to the show know that at the, at the open of this show, you know where I do this show from, you know where I broadcast from. And it is in the shadow of that mountain, which is the home of some very, very cool motorsports every single year. And uh, this year is no different. This year is also the historic 100th running of the event. So that's... um has a little more significance and importance to it but uh, you know and i talked about last week how i will be present at the fan fest for the pikes peak hill climb the festival that happens the day before the race i will be present there for it with a tent a table we're going to be broadcasting live doing some recorded segments of the show from there it's going to be a lot of fun still working out some of the technicalities of getting a live stream up uh, and looking at some of the networking there making sure i can do that but at the very least it's going to be cool and so you, I already told you about that piece of information before, but I have some new news that is exciting. And uh, this is exciting for me, but I think is also really cool for you. You know, I want to do things that you as the listener uh, directly benefit from. And this, in this case, that is teaming up with hill climb racing driver Jimmy Ford. I'm excited to announce a partnership with uh, him. He's uh, JimmyFordRacing.com, by the way. You got to check out what he's doing. It's really cool. You know, I was uh, I was talking about in the last segment how I think F1 is out of touch when it comes to motorsports and competition. And uh, I think uh, Jimmy is probably the, the antithesis of that. He has absolutely what it takes to do this from a grassroots level, go race in something that has, you know, international acclaim, a race that's known around the world. You know, you ask people, I, I've asked people from other countries when I meet them, you know, oh, do you know, you know, Colorado, you know, where I live? And they're like, no, no, I'm like, Pikes Peak, you know, Pikes Peak. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we know that. So, you know, and I think uh, this is really exciting to be able to partner up with Jimmy and be able to provide to you, the listener, kind of you know, what it's like to be a hill climb driver, to do the event. What do you have? What does it take to actually do it? That's something I've wondered. You know, this race happens. You see it televised. You see all this stuff. What does it really take? What's it like on the ground level? And Jimmy, of course, I think he's the right man to make this happen. He is really cool. He's been gracious enough to uh, agree to work with me on this as well and uh, be able to provide you with some really 
really cool stuff. I don't think any other automotive podcast is doing this, which this is why you tune in here. So it's going to be really fun. I'm going to be excited to invite Jimmy on the show. He's going to be on the show next week talking about a little bit of that. And uh, you got to stay tuned on the social media. Check, Be sure to check out uh, his websites and media as well. Again, that's JimmyFordRacing.com. Uh, and stay tuned on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. The race, by the way, is coming up here in about three weeks. It's going to be fast. This is going to come up really fast, and you don't want to miss a beat of it. It's going to be really cool. So anyway, I did promise you one other topic for this show. Yeah, so we're going to we're gonna transition from racing to let's talk about fuel economy. <laughs> How's that for a segue? Yeah, motorsports burning all the fuel and then going to saving some fuel. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know gas has been getting expensive. Uh, you know, here in the United States, it's been getting pricey, and in other countries, it's been getting even pricier, you know, and, uh, you know, the average cost of gas is getting very near $5 a gallon here in the States, and uh, in California, it's passing $8 a gallon, and if you happen to live in California and are the sort of person who enjoys cars and motorsports, uh, my condolences go to you. You have my sympathy it is incredible uh, just what's happening in that state right now in terms of fuel prices. I can't, it's unfathomable. But anyway, uh, that said, the gas crisis, you could say, I'm hesitant to call it the gas crisis. We already had one of those in the 1970s, but it's getting really near those levels. And um, that has a lot of different companies making quote, fuel-saving devices, yes. And I will say, full disclosure before talking about this, all of them are a scam, every single one of them. They're all terrible. And we're going to kind of go through some of the ones that exist and why they're terrible. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you know, and I'm also, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name prices. You don't need to know those things because you don't need to buy this crap anyway. I'm just just saying. So, uh, and I have to give a uh, hat tip uh, to uh, Jason, Tor uh, or not rather Jason, but uh, Aaron Marquis from uh, Jalopnik uh, for putting this list together and, uh, you know, presenting these things in a way that can help you and me avoid them, avoid them like the plague. Okay. So, and I think the rule of thumb here with so called fuel saving devices, they all claim to save you a large quantity of gasoline uh, and do so very cheaply. And one very prevalent example is a device that plugs into your obd2 port on your car all cars after 1996 typically have them and uh, this device has also been around about that long and it claims to use self-learning technology to learn your driving habits and make changes to your car's fuel trim based on that data and whether or not it can even write anything to the fuel tables that's up in the air. Good chances are it can't do that. Also, this device has been around about as long as OBD2 OBD ports have been around. So they're saying that they had, you know, self-learning, machine learning technology in the 90s for a device that is in the sub $10 category. Now, very unlikely. In fact, I'd like to get my hands on one of these, open it up and even see if there's anything in it, because probably not. Uh, now, moving on to another device that was uh you know highlighted here uh in this uh, article was uh this uh, I, again I'm not, I'm not gonna name it but i will describe it you can visually picture it looks like a, a little you know 
electrical box with some wires coming off of it. Looks like some sort of, you know, uh, Soviet era torture device in some some capacity. And that connects to a little flower shaped disc, which apparently you insert into your air filter. And what this is allegedly is an electromagnet that magnetizes the air. Yeah, you heard that right. Magnetizes the air as it passes through your air filter. And apparently the magnetic air <laughs> is better for fuel economy. What kind of witchcraft is this? Okay, now what's also amazing about this device is for the low, low price of a lot of money. This one's in the uh, multi-hundred dollar category. Um... It comes with some beads. Yeah, it comes with some, like, prayer bead-looking things. Like, the sort of things some strange witch-looking lady would sell you at the side of a street fair or some sort of street vendor claiming to ward off evil spirits. Well, apparently these beads are to ward off unfuel-efficient things. <laughs> Whatever that means. They say in the instructions that along with your Soviet torture device hooked up to a magnet to magnetize the air, uh, you put these prayer beads into your uh, coolant overflow reservoir. And um, somehow that helps. Now, obviously, okay, your coolant is not supposed to have any interaction with, obviously, any fuel or systems relating to fuel. In fact, if you've got coolant leaking into your cylinder, for instance, you've got a head gasket leak and you have a problem. And uh, putting some mystical prayer beads in your coolant reservoir is not going to help you much. Uh, not to mention the fact that if you were to put this in a pressurized coolant system, there is a chance, though unlikely, that these beads could get somewhere where they're not supposed to be. And then clog up a coolant passage. And then what happens is it gets too hot and coolant doesn't get through there, and then you, you, then you blow your head gasket. So, I mean... You know, both solutions here leading to a, a likely, <laughs> uh, definitely not more fuel economy. I will say that much. And magnetizing the air. I'm sorry, but can you even magnetize the air? The answer's uh, short answer, by the way, is no. Air oxygen molecules are non-ferrous. They do not. They, they they do not have anything to do with magnetism or anything like that. That's ridiculous. If there were if there were magnetic particles in the air, if there was dust in the air that had, I don't know, iron filings in it, there's, you know, iron in the ground and stuff like that, that fine powdered iron that you find, you dig around in the dirt with a magnet and, magnet and you'll get a bunch of it, right? Well, if there was that much of it in the air, you would be having other problems. And also your air filter would likely stop particles that big, big enough to be, you know, magnetized. It's ridiculous, ridiculous, bogus. Don't spend your money on this. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is a device that you have, I guarantee, I guarantee you've seen it on clickbait style internet ads. It's a little dongle that you plug into your cigarette lighter. And uh, what it claims to do is save you a whopping several percent of fuel. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's uh what what it claims is that by smoothing out the electricity um and supplementing and I'm reading from their dis description here, supplementing the required voltage for devices such as lights, stereos, power windows, etc., your car's battery does not struggle to provide the additional power needed to operate these devices. Well, when you open up this little device, if you break it open, all that's in it is a capacitor and an LED with a resistor and that resistor just makes it so the LED doesn't blow up. Like, that's that's it. It's got a capacitor in it. And this 
little capacitor allegedly is supposed to power your electrical devices and smooth out the electricity so that your car's more fuel efficient, apparently? These are all claims that are, I mean... Do I have to tell you this is bogus? I guess I'll tell you. Yeah, it's bogus. It's bogus. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it does nothing. And in fact, people who've um, purchased these have claimed zero uh, perceivable benefits or issues as a result of it. It does literally nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is a, yeah, don't spend your money on it. And uh, yeah, there you go. Do, do I think the, the moral of the story here is, yeah, gas is getting expensive. We're all feeling that. But don't fall victim. Not that I know. Not that you would. Not that you would. I have faith in you as my listener. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying you're an idiot or something. I know you wouldn't do this. But perhaps don't let your non-car friends fall victim to these uh, so-called fuel economy improving devices. And I mean, think of it this way: uh, Wouldn't if it was possible for the auto manufacturer to add a three cent Chinese capacitor to your electrical system to improve fuel economy ratings by 15%, wouldn't they have already done that if that actually worked? I mean, you know, it's beneficial for a car manufacturer to have good fuel economy ratings, not only for certain government subsidies, and uh, but also for, you know, reviews and magazines and testers and, you know, that sort of thing. Having good fuel economy definitely sells. Wouldn't they have already done it? Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, don't fall victim to this stuff. And don't let your friends fall victim to it. Unless you want to do something funny. Maybe, like, buy it for a friend as a joke gift and yeah, i don't know i don't even spend your money on it in that capacity it's not worth it don't give these people your money so anyway there you go i do want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show again i am very excited to uh, announce the news that i'll be uh uh starting a partnership with uh, jimmy ford racing to uh provide you some really cool insight into hill climb racing also i want to congratulate Colin Schroem again for sending in his car sounds and winning the car sound giveaway. Colin, I will be getting in touch with you shortly to uh, get that uh, shipping information so I can get everything sent out to you. Now, this show, of course, can be found wherever fine podcasts and, you know, this one are downloaded and uh, it is also heard around the world as a podcast, but in Southern Colorado on 91.7 KLZR Saturday mornings. Catch it then. Remember to subscribe to the Patreon as well if you want early access to the show. Now, I will see you same time, same place next week when I wear aviator sunglasses and ride a motorcycle to the tune of Kenny Loggins. Can we make that one any more obvious? I'll see you then. <laughs>